2: And we are back to uh, another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for uh, sticking around. I know it's late, but we got a really interesting show lined up for everyone tonight. First show of 2017. I hope everybody's doing great. I know 2016 was rough for a lot of folks. Um, in different aspects, but we made it. We're here, and we're going to make the best of the. Well, we're next here. A lot of
0: people aren't.
2: 365 here, days. No, there, there. It was like I said. It was just a crazy year. I don't need to go into it. I think yeah. everybody's pretty well aware. We, of it. We get the gist. <laughs> I'm joined by Genevieve. Genevieve, how you doing?
0: I'm doing quite all right. Just getting over my big New Year's. I know, hangover and
2: all that. <laughs> yeah, know. I hope everybody, you know, is back in form and getting out there tackling the world. Tonight, we have a really cool show lineup for everyone tonight. Our guest is uh, Steve Weinig. And he was involved in this really cool documentary about the Toy and tiles. And I don't know how many people are familiar with the Toy and B tiles. Personally, it came to my attention I think it was around 2011, 2012, the first time I heard about the Toy & B tiles. And they asked me if I knew what it was about. And honestly, I didn't. And I looked into it and it was obviously quite a cryptic message that involved one of my all-time favorite movie directors, which is Stanley Kubrick. So that automatically got my attention. And shortly thereafter, I came across this uh, documentary that helped explain this mystery. And you know I love a good mystery. This documentary just went in and, and tried to solve this mystery. So our guest tonight is going to help us kind of sort and sift through some of these questions that we have. So Genevieve, if you'd be so kind, why don't you introduce our guest?
0: Um, so this evening we have um, Steve wynick with us. He is um, a Philadelphia-based photographer. Writer and researcher, currently he mainly works as a staff photographer for the Mural Arts Philadelphia, whilst also taking on other freelance assignments and personal projects. What he may be most widely known for, however, is obviously his involvement in Resurrected the movie um his work on the documentary which encompassed research, photography, production and on-screen time helped earn the movie a trip to the Sundance Film Festival where it won the directing award in the United States documentary category. Steve's photos have been published in The New York Times, The Washington Post, National Geographic, The Guardian, Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal and countless other publications and media outlets. He currently resides in Northwest Philadelphia with his family always on the lookout for new and interesting projects.
2: And with that, we are happy to welcome our guest tonight, Steve Weinick. Steve, can you hear us okay?
0: Yes, I can. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight and, and talk about this really, really fascinating documentary, uh, Resurrect Dead, the, the mystery of the Toy and Bee tiles. Let me start asking you, how did you become aware of the Toy and bee tiles? I know that they're scattered through various cities out east. Did you just happen to notice these things uh, as you were, you know, walking around town?
1: Yeah, it started, well, the tiles themselves started in the early 1980s and the original uh, creator of the tiles is still putting them down as recently as... Uh, August or September of 2016. Uh, So they've sort of been around my entire life. And they started here and the majority of them are in the Philadelphia area, in Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey, New York City. So within 100 miles of where I grew up. When I first was starting to explore the city on my own as like a adolescent, like 13 or 14 years old, I remember saving up money and going to the video arcade once every week. So on Fridays, I go to old-fashioned video arcade where you put quarters in a machine. So this was a big, exciting adventure for me. Me and my friends would go downtown area and explore the city, <laughs> going to play video games. But on the way to the, the arcade, um, I would notice these tiles in the street. And that's the first you know conscious memory I have of seeing them. That's and so crazy. <laughs> yeah, for listeners who might not understand what I'm talking about, like if you've ever walked down the street and noticed like maybe a penny or a mm-hmm. bottle cap or just some debris sort of gets stuck and embedded into the asphalt, uh, the person who's putting these tiles down is kind of using that same method, um, only he's carving linoleum tiles or uh, VCT nylon uh, tiles With a cryptic message, the message has been very consistent over the last 30 plus years, and he's found a way to, without ever being seen uh, or caught in the act, he's found a way to embed these tiles um, at intersections, some of the busiest intersections uh, in North America and a couple in South America flush Mm -hmm. into the street so they literally become part of the street they're inseparable like if you want to remove them you'd need you know heavy equipment and power tools and stuff like that the message itself on these tiles is it's a twin idea in kubrick's 2001 resurrect dead on planet jupiter or some really close variation of that some of them say Raise dead uh some of them say movie 2001 if you Go online and search like any Twinbee tile or any variation of the message that's on it. You can see examples of these tiles. You know, I've been describing them for years and years. But until you actually see one or uh, you see a picture of one or run across one in the street, like the descriptions kind of sound out there. (laughs) Right. Once you actually see it, you you get to understand like what I'm talking
2: about. To me, the reason why I like them is because they're almost like a little uh, piece of art. You know, they're quite oh, colorful, yeah. you know, the, the fonts and the writings. I know you probably explained this a million times. Uh, I <laughs> hope it's OK if we make it a million and one times. <laughs> but can you help us break down the message in the tiles? Because there there's some very cryptic uh, phrases in there. Like, for example, the Toynbee idea, the reference to 2001, this whole thing about resurrecting the dead on planet Jupiter. Can you just break that down for us and tell us what it means?
1: Sure. And, you know, this isn't any easy thing. Like I was uh, researching the tiles for a lot of years and had like all this information that no one else had ever uncovered before I actually realized what they meant. Mm -hmm. Um, And the trick is that they're meant to be taken like absolutely literally, um, as Mm -hmm. crazy as that sounds. But Twinbee idea the Toynbee it refers to as Arnold Toynbee, who is a British uh, historian uh, in the mid-20th century. Uh, he was a pretty prominent historian uh, of world history, especially religious history. And he wrote uh, extensively uh, on history of religion in the Western world. Uh, the movie 2001, that is Stanley Kubrick's uh, sci-fi movie 2001 i think it came out in the, the late 60s that i won't even get into trying to explain that but <laughs> basically
0: that's a whole um, show sure. yeah
1: yeah you can you can see the movie and i think the the next part of it refers to the ending which is always a open discussion <laughs> uh resurrected on planet jupiter uh is the next line and the twin b tyler as far as we can tell at least when he started putting these tiles down i don't know if he still believes this, but his goal was to start a movement for world government or just the United States government or possibly the Soviet Union, Uh, just people to come together (laughs) as one big uh, group and devote all of their time and energy to colonizing Jupiter. And the colonists of the planet would be they're physically resurrected humans that have uh, ever lived and died on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So I think he chose Jupiter because it's a, a very, it's a gas giant. I mean, there's no solid surface or anything, but uh, it's definitely a large planet. It could accommodate every human that's ever lived and died.
2: It's such a, a, a strange uh, message. Yeah. I was trying to put myself in this individual's shoes a bit mm-hmm. and think what could drive somebody to uh, formulate this idea of This being an actual possibility with these tiles, he was trying to spread a message. But one of the things that I found interesting as, as you know, we were watching the documentary is that it seems that this individual, whoever he was, even though he was doing something very public or trying to attract the attention of the public, he himself seemed to be a bit of a recluse, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that that gets into the mystery part of it, because these these tiles with the strange message were appearing all over. It was not just Philadelphia, but it was all over the eastern seaboard from Boston uh, in the north all the way down uh, to Washington, D.C., all the way out to Kansas City or Iowa City uh, in the West, Chicago, St. Louis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, wow. Ohio, Mottville, Michigan, which is a very small town. Just there were hundreds of them all over the eastern seaboard, three and three South American countries that were reported also in the early 1980s. It took the Internet for people to realize that they were connected and that it was not just this odd cryptic thing in their local community but no one had any idea who was putting them down or why and in the traditional you know public art or street art world even going back into the 1980s like people in and know would be like oh yeah i know who's doing that that's such and such like they stay anonymous but there's a general understanding of like there's some group or some community that knows who's doing it and why yeah. the tiles were outside of that so really no one knew who was putting these down mm-hmm. uh, with it took all of our research to figure out exactly what they meant. Uh, so it was you know, quite literally a bizarre message embedded in the street. No one knew how these things were getting there, how they were appearing, how the person who was you know, embedding tiles in asphalt in places like Times Square and a block from the White House and right. <laughs> all over the, the country, how, how they had done it hundreds of times without being caught. So that was what really like intrigued me initially. Like, what are these things? What do they mean? And how is it possible uh, that no one in any community seems to know who's doing it?
2: Yeah. And that was one of the things that I found perplexing because obviously these tiles are located in the middle of the street, you know, in quite open public spaces, yet nobody had caught a glimpse of the person that was doing this. Before we talk a little bit more of the individual that became known as the Toy and B Tyler I want to ask you, how did you connect with uh, John Foy, who was the director of the documentary, and obviously Justin, who is also trying to unravel this mystery, and Colin Smith? How did you meet those guys? Were you friends already? And was this a project the idea that you guys had been kicking around? Or was it the mystery itself that brought you guys together?
1: Well, Philadelphia is a pretty small city. So I'd run across Justin a couple of times. He plays in a few bands and I'd seen at least one of them play with friends of mine. But I didn't know Justin, Colin or John until the documentary started. And there are a lot of synchronicities in this whole story. Uh, too many to really even keep track of. But what Little was known about the tiles. One thing was clear is that they originated in Philadelphia. And this had been something I've been kicking around in my head for over 10 years. Like one day, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to solve this and figure out who's behind these. The, the answer's in my community, in the city of Philadelphia, and I'm just going to figure it out. So I reached out to Justin, who online was clearly uh, the, I'd say, preeminent scholar on the subject. And he wrote me back and we compared notes. I had gone down to a neighborhood in South Philadelphia, where one of the primary suspects was and talked to neighbors. And I reached out to Justin, and we compared notes and he was like, Hey, a friend of mine is starting a documentary about the tiles. And we're just starting filming like in the next week or so. And like, do you want to do an on-camera interview? So I said, sure, I'd love to. And it kind of went from there. We became friends. The documentary took five years to finish and and in the course (laughs) of all of that time um we got to know each other pretty well and we became friends when the movie was miraculously accepted to the sundance film festival in 2011 um that was a you know pretty big bonding experience as well so because it was really just the four of us
2: it's funny because As you watch this movie, it's like you're kind of helping the viewer uh, go on this journey with you guys because all of you genuinely were trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. Now, one of the things that you mentioned a a minute ago was the internet. Prior to the internet, I'm guessing it was really difficult to gather information. But one of the interesting things that I believe it was Justin in the documentary, he says that the first thing he ever tapped into a, a search engine on the internet at a library was a Toy and Bee Tiles, and there was nothing to be found. So about how long did it take before you guys were able to start piecing things together?
1: Well, Justin, when he did that internet search, was in the late 1990s. So it was mm-hmm. in the pretty early days of the internet. Right. And we started with the documentary. It's hard to even remember. It was like 2003 or four. So by that point, there had been a few articles written on the tiles. And there was also a website Put together by the graduate student at that time from Drexel University, also in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. that cataloged the tiles and reported sightings. So he had like a hard-coded HTML site, just basically tables with lists in them of all the tile sightings. That was pretty much a central resource online by the time we started doing our research. So there was nothing to go on when we started, but there was still very little. There are a few scattered clues here
2: and there. One of the things that we also find out is that uh, at one point, I believe it could be the same website that we're talking about. I I believe the webmaster kind of handed over the, the keys, if you will, to his website. And that just opened this Pandora's box of apparent theories and just emails from people with they all had their own ideas what it could be. And one of the things that I found interesting before we talk about what are some of the theories that people were throwing out there. One of the interesting things that we found out in the documentary is that there had been two previous attempts to make a documentary about the toy and Be tiles. Obviously, you guys succeeded in making one. But what were some of those difficulties that hindered the, the work of these other two productions that maybe you guys encounter and were able to overcome?
1: Word of the other two documentaries was really just in a set of emails that were written to the old Twin bee tile website mm. twinbenet so we we were given a mailbox file with hundreds of emails in it from all the correspondence that uh, the webmaster there had had for five or six years that he had run that site and it was just mentioned in passing but like i said i mean this documentary took it was a real labor of love for the director especially and wow. it took him five years to put it together and it was entirely self-financed um he, you know, did everything from you know, shooting and scoring it to, to the color correction wow. and editing and all of that. The biggest obstacle was probably just that. Like, this isn't something that you're going to get a lot of seed money to produce a story about. It's such a esoteric, quirky little subject <laughs> that it really needed to be a labor of love that someone was going to devote themselves to. Once we got rolling, it was just fun. So,
0: I'm interested to know. Um... You know, prior to that, were you someone who was very much into um, mysteries and conspiracies anyway, or did you just find yourself stumbling into this scene essentially?
1: You know, I, I'd call myself a maybe a fan of reading uh, some of the stuff. I don't buy into really very much at all mm-hmm. of it, of the, of the folklore and conspiracies, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. I won't say I deny everything and, you know, it's a hard line to walk, but Right, it's um, I enjoy yeah. entertaining a lot of ideas that I don't necessarily endorse or believe or, or yeah. plausible or factual. So I think that's why a lot of people get into these subjects. They're great stories and there's great entertainment, and it's fun to imagine. You know how something may or may not be true, whether or not you you know, believe it in it or not. The tiles were a little bit like that because the person creating them had he's not um, tapped into any traditional line of conspiratorial thinking or theories he talks about a cult of the hellion like for example that's something that he's made up there's no (laughs) you'll see a billion web links and articles about the illuminati or Mm you know other secret societies but he made up the cult of the hellion all on his own there's no one else talking about the cult of the hellion (laughs) 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 you know what i mean but um so he
0: it's pretty intense yeah
1: (laughs) yeah he entertains these ideas and he and the there's definitely that element to this story and it that will pique a lot of people's interest, but also just the sheer mystery of it and the solvability of it. There's yeah. a line in the movie where Justin, I think, said something like, "This isn't a phantom or a ghost. Like this is real. There's someone taking a knife and carving this message into tiles and leaving them around the right. country. So it wasn't,
0: okay. it wasn't
1: something that was necessarily going to go unanswered. Like a lot of the stuff in the esoteric world, I don't think anyone's going to roll." A body of Bigfoot or something into <laughs> anywhere <laughs> yeah. next week or tomorrow. But, you know, we could figure out with the twin B tiles who's doing it. Like they're right there. They're. Hundreds of photos of them. Right. <laughs> Someone's putting them down, like right there to be solved.
0: And am I right in thinking you're still photographing them to this day, right? Mm-hmm. And do you still find new ones popping up or are they just ones that you haven't discovered before?
1: There was a big set put down in Philadelphia over the summer of 2016 into the early fall. Mm-hmm. And that was the first set in Philadelphia in, I think, five or six years. So that was exciting. Oh, wow. Um, 12 or 15 went down in the city. A few oh, wow. of them disappeared almost immediately too. So I stopped oh. reporting them right oh. away because oh. they're they're a little bit vulnerable when they're first put down. I think you can peel them up if you really try. If you get to them in the first few days, I saw a couple and I was excited and put them online. And within a couple of days, three of them were gone. Oh, so. wow. oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so I think people are starting to take them.
0: <laughs> I know that's almost silly to ask, but how do you know that they are originals at this point?
1: That's something, part of it is you can start with the earliest tiles and look at the progression uh, Mm -hmm. over time. So if you look at the very first ones, they had a very distinct style for the first five or six years, and then they shifted into another style, and then into another style, and then into another style. So a lot of people that say like, well, these aren't originals look clearly like, you know, this one looks totally different from this one. Tile A looks totally different from tile B, but Mm -hmm. not considering that, you know, tile A was made in 1995 and tile B was made in 2000. 12, you know, so having followed them and put together a pretty solid timeline, we can see the evolution of styles, okay. of materials, how they're put down, where they're put down. But the most convincing thing, uh, and this is not something that's in the documentary because it's happened since the documentary. Uh, the most convincing thing is the tiler himself started putting down tiles that didn't have the traditional Toynbee message just mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, and okay. these were really hyper-local tiles near oh. the New Jersey shore where he has a family home these tiles attack an individual (laughs) that we don't know what beef he has with this guy, but Mm -hmm. they attack a guy who is a volunteer for Meals on Wheels. Oh Um, goodness me. Yeah. They (laughs) they, attack him and say horrible things about him. This person has had contact with our primary tile suspect. He has had contact with the family, not with the tiler himself. Doesn't know why he's being targeted by them. I haven't spoken with him myself, but Mm -hmm. I know someone who has at the, the same time. Tiles with the traditional message that look nearly identical in material and style and carving, like started appearing in Baltimore and New York City and along I 95, and also in places in South Jersey. Wow. So, mm-hmm. just by comparing, like, well, you know, we suspected that these were original tiles and these other tiles that, you know, have a direct connection to the original Toynbee tiler. They look exactly the same. They appeared at the same time, but they have this slightly different message, but one also that the tiler has a connection to. I hope you can follow me along with this (laughs) thread here. But basically, um, there are a lot of context clues and circumstantial evidence that it's definitely one person putting down particular styles of tiles. That's not to say that there aren't some really nice copycats out there also but we've been able to separate out which ones are copycats and which ones aren't
2: when you guys got a hold of all these emails from the the website what were some of the, the people's ideas and theories as to what was the purpose of these tiles i remember the first time that you know they came to my attention people were telling me it's some like new world order thing or like an illuminati message or something along those lines but what were some of the, the ideas that folks had that you guys uh, came across did any of them help you steer in any direction And were there some really out there theories that you guys thought like, wow, you know, this is definitely (laughs) a unique point of view?
1: Yeah, there are some really out there theories. And I'm trying to, as you were asking the question, I was trying to remember a couple of them. But, yeah, one that pops out is. They said, if you find out who the Tyler is, go to their house and turn over the planners in the backyard or something because there'll be a secret message like written. I, I oh, forget wow. exactly what the details were, but there, there yeah. were stories like that or just like warning about September 11th. Like those came mm. in after uh, 2001, those messages or the more cynical messages where people are like, oh, this is just some art student. Like, why are you paying attention to this? This is dumb and boring, <laughs> uh, wow. which it, it wasn't. <laughs> and isn't. Um thing that really put us on the right track, though, that came out of those emails was someone remembered in the early 1980s, like 1983 or 4, they were in Philadelphia and they saw tons of wheat paste flyers, like just uh, paper flyers that were stuck up on bus stations and stapled to bulletin boards and uh, telephone poles all over Center City, Philadelphia, with the same message But it also advertised a shortwave radio station and said that if you want to learn more about Toynbee's idea or something to that effect, like uh, tune into the shortwave radio station Mondays at Midnight, sir. I forget what the exact time was. And that put us in touch with the shortwave community. There's an international shortwave listeners festival every year just outside of Philadelphia. I was talking about synchronicity earlier. We realized within hours of putting together this shortwave connection and reaching out to the person who had seen that shortwave advertisement that the International Shortwave Listeners Festival was the following week, uh, like 30 miles outside of Philadelphia. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we thought, hey, we got to go to that uh, and see if anyone there remembers anything or knows anything. Those were you know, little strokes of luck and a little bit of synchronicity that kind of put us on the right path yeah, because it was there that, that we, we did amazing. actually <laughs> speak with someone. Yeah.
2: That was like a great investigative work, right yeah, there. Yeah,
0: no, it, it was really fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. it's
2: genius, right? If you're looking for something so obscure and and this quite is niche, real
0: grassroots. Yeah, you go to yeah. the place,
2: like to a convention that's filled with with these people. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, but I just thought that was uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary, just to see you guys go. Go to this uh, gathering and just straight up ask people. You know, does anybody remember this?
1: Yeah, one of the things—that was one of the things about this research, also. uh, And to go back just a little bit, like Mm -hmm. because before we really got into shortwave, there are hints that there might have been a connection to the shortwave community, Uh, and there are also hints that led nowhere. Ultimately, that um, there is some involvement with the railroads, uh, with the Conrail rail line. Uh, because one of our suspects had worked for Conrail. Another person who worked for Conrail in Philadelphia at around the same time that, you know, the same time frame that we were looking at was building a, uh, the Spiritcom. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It was a machine that someone was building, which they claimed could, you know, speak with the dead. Um, it was basically a, a radio that could speak with the wow. dead. The person who invented this machine worked for Conrail uh, near Philadelphia at about the same time as our suspects. So we got into the theme of there's always, there's a theme of death. There's a theme of resurrection and the mystery. There's, uh, this hint at, um, radio communication. So we started looking down that path and that path had nothing to do with anything. Ultimately, like it was a dead lead, but at the end of this dead lead, we moved to starting to research the shortwave angle of it and the shortwave community. And that was not a dead lead. So it was a really um, odd investigative path that we took, but it ended up being pretty fruitful.
2: Yeah, it, no, it uh, was it was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was fascinating to watch you guys, you know, just peel back the layers to, to this whole mystery. One of the biggest clues, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like this was probably one of the more pivotal moments, was when you guys found, I, I think it must have been like a photo of one of the tiles that, that is uh, down in the city of Santiago in Chile. They had a Pennsylvania address on it. Yeah. And I felt like that's where the the story kind of takes a turn because now finally there was some type of, you know,
0: solid view. Yeah. yeah.
2: Can you tell me a little bit about that and who ultimately did you find when you guys went to this address?
1: Yeah, there were two tiles put down in the early nineteen eighties, one in South America and one we later found out there's a second one in Pittsburgh, uh, in Pennsylvania, with an address. Um, and it said, write a Toybee, and it gave us a uh, South Philadelphia address. Uh, when these tiles were put down in the uh, early to mid-1980s, the person who lived at that address was Railroad Joe, this guy who worked for Conrail. And that's mm-hmm. where that Conrail connection came in. Okay. The person who moved into that house after him, uh, and we don't know what the relationship was, but it seems there's some family relationship between Railroad Joe and the next owner, uh, whose name was Sivi. He got the house in a will. Uh, from the former owner, and so there must be some connection there. We went down to speak with him to see what he knew about the tiles, if he knew anything, but he he didn't speak with us. he didn't answer the door, and his neighbor said he's kind of reclusive didn't want to talk to anyone. We knocked on his door a couple of times, and uh, he never um he never spoke with us before the documentary started filming. We knew about that address. Justin had gone down to South Philadelphia and knocked on the door, but he read the address wrong and went a block to the north oh, uh, wow. it, it <laughs> said two six on the tile he went to two five because it's hard to read um and a person not answered the door and are like what are you talking about i don't know anything about that so justin hit <laughs> uh for years after that said like oh no i checked that address out and like the guy yeah. said he didn't have anything to do with it and he seemed like uh, perfectly believable so
0: right <laughs>
1: Wow. So we ignored that address for a long time oh, when we goodness. really shouldn't have. Wow. Since Justin was the authority on the tiles, and he had publicly said I checked out that address, and the guy there knew nothing about it, um, it put everyone else off the trail too because they trusted him as the authority. The person at that, that address did ultimately end up being <laughs> our primary suspect, as the Tyler. So I talk about this like long. Investigative path that we took, and machines that talk to the dead, and the shortwave radio community, and all that, and the answer ultimately was like he put his address on a tile.
2: Right? Yeah, it's like hiding <laughs> in plain sight, almost. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We do laugh about that sometimes.
2: It's interesting because yeah, this gentleman that goes by the name of Sevi. It seems like uh, well, as you as you mentioned, you know, you, you you guys try to communicate with him and talk to him, but. He, he he is a very private individual of what we could see. However, I would think and, and I know Genevieve and I were talking about this earlier and she brought up a good point that if he wanted to spread his message out there, you know, having a documentary film crew would be a good way to push the message out even further. But it seems like he wasn't interested in that. Do you guys think that he's still doing it, but he just does not want to be, you know, he doesn't want a face attached to the message or the movement, if you will?
1: I think he pretty clearly doesn't want to take any personal credit or responsibility or have his face out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty clear because he never spoke with us. And mm-hmm. we, maybe he didn't like us for some reason, but uh, he never spoke with us. Everything he's done has been with the mission of getting the message out in as durable a way as possible so like in the early 1980s he was like putting the posters up and doing shortwave radio broadcasts. both of those things are pretty ephemeral uh the tiles i think came in as a more permanent way to spread Mm -hmm. that message so you know you make a hundred of these over the summer or over the winter and stick them down over the summer and some of them will last 10 or 15 years, at least. There's some in Cleveland that are 20 years old, but he never took credit. When he was approaching the media, before he kind of turned against the media in the 1990s and the 80s, when he was still trying to get in touch with the press to spread the idea, we're pretty sure he was using a pseudonym. He went by the name James Morasco when he was speaking publicly to people. We don't know for sure if there wasn't a James Morasco, but we don't think that there was. We think it's always been the one person. But that's that's an unanswered question. Maybe there was a small team originally.
2: I believe that in the documentary there is mention of the uh, uh let me see if I if I can find it in my notes here. The the Jupiter Colonization organization and also another name that pops up was the minority association.
1: Yeah. yeah. When he was putting together press releases back when he was approaching the press and calling in he called into Larry King's uh, radio show. Mm -hmm. back in the early 80s he was a somewhat regular caller from what we've heard he used to he used to have a regular talk show uh and then i think after two to five a.m or something it was open phones and it i mean i guess it was sort of like this or like an Bell style show Mm -hmm. um where he'd just take open calls from folks and talk about stuff so he called into that a few times in the early 1980s
2: You mentioned, you know, that he was trying to approach the press, but I believe, like you said, it was either like mid 80s or, or, you know, going into the 90s that the titles began to take on this very kind of paranoid tone. And I remember one of the harshest things that uh, I, uh, you know, that we saw was where he says or one of the tiles reads like (laughs) kill all journalists or something like that.
0: Murder. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: it was uh, so it's almost like the tiles kind of give us a bit. I mean, I felt I I don't know if I'm reading too much into the tiles at this point because I'm quite fascinated by all this. But it's almost like the tiles are beginning to give us like an insight into his psyche a little bit. And we begin to see a bit of an unraveling occur. That maybe perhaps has to do with how reclusive he you know he 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 was, what vibe did you get out of that? Do you think that he was kind of breaking down a little bit because it does seem a bit harsh some of the things that we read in those tiles
1: since he's never spoken with us and said what his his intentions uh-huh. are in his own voice it this is all just speculation, so I don't. Right. Yeah, I don't really know. Uh, but there does seem to be a, a pretty clear progression where he's really open at first mm-hmm. doing shortwave broadcast, he He's trying to broadcast into the USSR. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he was trying to broadcast the message to as many people as possible over as wide a space as possible over, you know, as long as a uh, period of time as possible he thought if he could get a uh, popular momentum for this movement like he had this great idea to build heaven in space basically mm-hmm. he he was didn't believe that there was any he didn't believe in a a separate realm of heaven he thought that heaven would be a material place and that it was up to human beings to build it and this was he was like oh i figured it out this is like how uh humans will achieve an afterlife is all like i figured it out no one else has had this idea and as soon as i tell people that like we can live eternally if we just build heaven and space by combining the ideas of arnold Toynbee and stanley kubrick everyone's going to get on board and it's going to be awesome and we'll you know have a beautiful afterlife on jupiter uh when that didn't happen when he spread this message and people were not getting on board he seemed to take a turn Uh, against the press who he thought was um, deliberately stifling the message against um, the cult of the Helion, uh, which is, I I mentioned that earlier, it's a group that I've never seen mentioned by any other person online or (laughs) anywhere else for that matter. Um, He thought it was a, a Illuminati style cult that was suppressing uh, his idea and this information.
2: Oh, wow.
1: He you know, put tiles down that said, murder, murder every journalist, I beg you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually near Times Square. We never got a photo of it, but we got multiple reports of it. And those sidebar messages, these messages that said stuff like murder every journalist uh, or the cult of the hellion gloated over this movement's death and mm-hmm. things like that, those were put in little sidebar tiles. So there'd be the main message about resurrecting the dead. And then there'd be these little smaller usually sidebar tiles with few lines of text and that's where we're getting this other information from. If you look at photos of tiles you'll see a lot of them have this accompanying text either around the borders or in tiles that are placed down next to the main tile. But yeah they did take a pretty dark turn in the mid-1990s and that continues to today. There are some more explicitly hateful messages on a few of them.
0: What's the latest message (laughs) you've had? In that case, the
1: latest message. I'd have to pull it up. Maybe I can do that while I talk. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we would. There's something about yeah, his mother. Being murdered by Venezuelan hitmen or oh, something. Oh wow. like my like goodness!
0: That. Wow. <laughs> when you said it, it took a turn. Yeah.
2: It
1: really did. Well, is this
2: <laughs> a, is this message on the sidebar or is it a main tile message? It's
1: sort of the sidebar. It's okay. kind of scratched into the scratched in. <laughs> into the main into the main tile, yeah. but it's separate from the main message. So it's in the same vein as a sidebar text, even oh. if it's not a separate tile. He's had some anti Semitic and homophobic messages on tiles. Um oh, so, yeah, yeah they I saw they've taken them. a bit I of a
0: darker York, turn. Actually, mm.
1: yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I of,
0: saw some some messages about Jews in New York and like some yeah. like the heavy stuff.
2: And you believe that this is still the original Tyler uh yes. that's going okay.
1: Yeah, and the one thing that um yeah he's never spoken with us, so I don't know like how serious he is at this point. Right. Uh, but I don't know and it's hard for me to say if he's still as devoted to this Jupiter colonization thing, mm. or if it he realized that he just created this, you know, really popular, almost called like a meme.
2: Um, <laughs> All right.
1: And if he's at least if he's doing it at this point, just because he knows he's gotten a little bit of notoriety, even if he doesn't want to take credit for it, mm. uh, just knowing that people are following it and uh, giving him credit for it. You know, he invented a medium and a method for spreading a message style, you know, a like style no one else was doing
0: it. And creativity <laughs> and the communication yeah
2: to me they look like little works of art you know when I see it it's like I, I tell Jeremy it's like I wish I could just go in there with a jackhammer and take one of those things <laughs>
1: <laughs> but in the uh-huh. yeah, in the evolutionist styles uh, the most beautiful most uh, thoughtfully created ones were, were put together in the mid to late 1990s he was doing like multiple colors Mm -hmm. and dovetailing two tiles together and doing fancy borders and inlaying little coffee cups and other illustration, and he'd do maybe 12 in a year. More recently, I mean, recently as in the last 15 years or so, he's just made a hundred or 200 tiles in a year. So a lot of them are much less thoughtful Mm -hmm. in their their artistic quality and he's going for like just quantity, like you can't Mm -hmm. make. A hundred and fifty beautiful tiles, but you can make a hundred and fifty pretty quick ones. Right, yeah, yeah. right,
2: right. So yeah. we'll say that the that the golden age of the tiles was in the in the nineties. <laughs> then, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, and and I know we're running out of time, Steve. I don't want to take too much of your time. But speaking of the tiles, what's the what's the status of the tiles with the local city officials? I mean, do they see this as a form of street art? Is there like an effort to conserve the tiles or do they see it as vandalism? Do they just pave over them, get rid of them? What's the status?
1: Well, the city of Chicago explicitly destroyed them. And I'm pretty oh. sure I haven't gotten a statement from anyone in New York, but I'm pretty sure the city of New York is also just going out and uh, grinding them down oh, I
0: uh, as they see them. The good.
1: Yeah. The good news is a couple of people in Philadelphia city government saw the documentary and got the Philadelphia Streets Department to amend their milling contract so that they would preserve at least a small set of tiles. They've cut out two. And they did that with their last repaving uh, projects last year. Hopefully this year, they're going to extract a handful more. And there are two local institutions that are willing to to save them uh, for Mm posterity. So Temple University and the Philadelphia History Museum are both interested in adding a couple of tiles to their collection. So at least, yes, yeah, somewhere, uh, they might not be the most beautiful ones. If um, if the tiler's listening, I'd ask him to put together some really, really nice ones and the city will cut him out next year.
2: Nice. <laughs> I hope he listens to this show. Believe me, uh, uh, it would be great. Uh,
0: we'll broadcast it on shortwave yeah. as And well. honestly, I mean, you know, <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I know that the documentary, the mystery, gets solved, but I guess we, we don't get that. The Hollywood happy ending per se. Right. But the mystery is solved. Do you have hopes that the Toy B Tyler will reach out at some point? Maybe just to say, hey, you know, I, I watched what you guys did. It was kind of cool.
1: <laughs> I love it, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. No. We did everything we could. We were in pretty close touch with some of his neighbors. He spoke with some of his neighbors. So he said, like, hey, can you tell him that this movie's coming out? Because the way the movie ends, we say, like, hey, we're not going to bother you anymore thanks for all the work Mm -hmm. you do. We think it's pretty awesome what you've invented and what you've done and how you've been able to spread a message even when no one wanted to hear it. And we left it at that. That's when the movie ended. Then the movie actually got much wider distribution than we had ever imagined it would we thought it might get some local distribution and do little things here and there but when i went to the sundance film festival and got picked up by focus world you can see it on canadian netflix now for any of your canadian nice very cool (laughs) it's up there now or i think you can get it through vpn if you go through canada um we approached him again and said hey we did this movie and we put your name in it and we know that you didn't want to talk to us, but just a heads up. Like we hope this doesn't affect you negatively in any way. We struggled a lot with that because he never spoke with us and we basically outed him, um, as the person who was doing it. Uh, we struggled a whole lot with, with that. When we started investigating the movie, we didn't know where it would lead and where it led us was to someone who didn't want to talk to us. And by the time we got to that point, the movie was done. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> right,
2: right? it's like,
1: what do you do? We we're investigating the story. We don't know. It's a mystery, so we don't know what the story is going to end up yeah, telling yeah, exactly. us. And by the time we finished, it told us something that it's like, oh, this guy doesn't want you to tell a story. But we decided to go ahead and release it anyway. Uh, so we hope that we struck a pretty good balance between going far enough, not going too far, not people either say like, what you did is horrible. Like you didn't want to be outed and you outed him. And the other reaction we get is, well, we get two other reactions. The other one is, it's awesome. You did a great, noble thing, the way you handled it. And then the third one is, why didn't you stake out his house and chase him down with a camera and get him to force him to talk (laughs) to you? Right, right. So... Between those three reactions, we hopefully, we yeah, a when good someone balance. does
0: not want to be contacted, I think, uh, yeah. you you know, after a while, yeah,
2: but honestly, right. I think that's that's the beauty of the documentary is that it's not just this very, you know, we close the door on this and that's the end of that, there's still a bit of that mystery still there, so you it's, you've it's a good it. thing,
0: there is that just that core of the mystery, yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> and, and I really like that. Thank you. Steve, I know we're we're almost out of time. So really quick, uh, my last question is basically this, and I don't mean to get too philosophical with this, but the message of the bee tiles, What what is your take on this? Do you think that now the message has been somewhat solved and we know it was just this one individual with a movement? Or do you see that this message just has transcended this very grassroots movement that it was in the 80s and 90s?
1: I don't know if the message itself will be taken literally, and people want to build heaven and space. Although you could say that, like some stuff that's going on now, like m- might ultimately, you know, get to some maybe not physical resu- resurrection, but some iter- iteration of immortality or preserving mm-hmm. people, or I don't know. There, there are crazier things out there and crazier ideas yeah, out there than immortality. Yeah, With modern
0: technology and everything. Yeah. yeah.
1: What he really did do, though, was there are plenty of other people now that are creating their own tiles. Mm. And usually people who do their own will um, do homage tiles back to the original Tone B tile or with the original message. But people often also create tiles with their own message or create tiles in a new and different style. So he, mm. he really invented a new, new medium for you know, street art or mm-hmm. uh, public. That's and I think that, that will probably be, I mean, that's kind of a downer when you compare like, Oh, he, he, created a new medium for street art compared yeah, to like oh he That's is amazing. gonna lead humans to build heaven and space but you know <laughs> it's still pretty cool
2: it totally <laughs> is. It is it totally is. It is steve i know that you're also an amazing photographer we we saw some of your photos and it. it's a truly really remarkable work why don't you tell people where they can find your social media and all that good stuff and i know you mentioned that a second ago but where can people watch resurrect dead
1: so you can follow me just search my name i'm the only person with my name in the Whole world so that makes it good for one reason that nice. you know, if you search me you'll find me the bad thing is that odd <laughs> name that you might not know how to spell so Steve that's easy and the last name is W-E-I-N-I-K Steve Wynick um, and if you just search that you can see my Instagram and Facebook and my personal website um, I also have a site devoted to the tiles to try to answer the most common questions that I get mm-hmm. and it's twinbidea.com. Nice. T-O-Y-N-B-E idea.com Um, It was down right before this uh, interview. I hope it is back up soon. (laughs) Okay, no worries. (laughs) It's a a trouble with my host right now. So that's an unfortunate timing. Oh, it's back. So that's great. Okay, there we go. I just checked. To see Resurrect Dead, if you're in Canada, it's on Netflix. It got Mm -hmm. pulled off of US Netflix. I don't know what other countries it might be on. You can always get an old-fashioned DVD on on Amazon. The DVD, though, has um, some extras. And one of the extra scenes, we built a Spiricom machine. Um, oh, really? Machine wow, I mentioned really?
2: earlier. <laughs> Wait, how, <laughs> well, how did it? this not make it uh, into the yeah. final cut? <laughs>
1: yeah, since that part of the investigation didn't go anywhere, oh. it just got thrown in as a oh, DVD extra. So that's a reason to get that. Okay. It just made a lot of noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, didn't really do anything. I think we plugged a guitar into it or something.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> very cool thank you so much for being with us tonight I really appreciate you taking the time thank and you, you so know that nice. talking about this modern day mystery man I dug it I dug the documentary and I definitely urge people to watch it and explore this mystery believe me it, it, you will not be disappointed with the job that Steve and the crew of Resurrect Dead did it's really great so Steve thank you so much and if further developments happen with the Toy and Bee mystery we would love to have you back on and, and talk more about this stuff
1: yeah, great absolutely. thank you
2: Thank you very much. And that was Steve Wynick of the documentary Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toy and Bee Tiles. Definitely check it out. If you want to watch it in high def, which I highly recommend, you can rent it on YouTube, Amazon Video, Google Play, and uh, you can also get the DVD from Amazon. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at WOTR Radio. Check out the website, wTradio.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash WOTR radio. Or just search WOTR radio. It'll take a jiffy to click subscribe. As always, I'm joined by Genevieve. You can find her on Twitter at the Genevieve Way. <laughs> Yeah.
0: yeah. And I seriously need to change it. Like, you you know, that find that's like, why the words
2: that people can… Yeah. After
0: a while, I started changing my email addresses to literally just my initials, like G-Y sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, it worked. Did you
2: find that works a lot better yeah. than giving people a tongue twister? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 It's like, so my first name is French and the second one's Chinese and the last one's Oh, no, Don't worry about it.
2: <laughs> but uh, you can find her on Twitter, and uh, you can catch her here every uh, Thursday, Thursday nights, posting uh-huh. no added flavors, music, and we'll
0: be starting fun up again. jokes, and
2: all that good yep. stuff. Yep. I want to thank Steve Weinig for being our guest tonight. We had a, a really fun chat with uh, Yeah, no, with Steve. that
0: was really um, enjoyable. Yeah, no, I, dissecting
2: this whole issue with the Toy and Beetles, and for me, the thing about this mystery, as we were talking about with Steve is the fact that there is still a bit to discover. And I think that's the cool thing and the genius thing about this whole project.
0: That's almost the thing that you don't want to let go off like yeah it's, it's, like, like, when it's like when you finish reading read a, a book. book yeah right
2: i mean you do get some of that bittersweetness we'll see what happens but i can't say it enough check out the documentary resurrect dead the mystery of the toy and be towels one of the things that you will find as you watch the documentary it was like the ingenious way in which uh, the toy and be tyler went mm-hmm. about putting yeah. these towels because a lot of them are in public roadways and intersections etc etc and the question was always, you know, how did he manage to do this? And Steve and the crew come to find that the gentleman behind this had a car with a hole cut into the floorboard of the passenger side. So basically he would drive around town with mm-hmm. these towels I and just to drop it, it them. It wasn't
0: even like a hole. It just had no floorboard, apparently.
2: Yeah, well it was just yeah, it, it was, was just, that just open, open yeah. The open very passion- Flintstones. Uh, open
0: passenger side, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
2: He was definitely quite determined to spread this message via the tiles and via the pirate radio signal and, you know, hijacking the TV signals and posting flyers and going to the press and calling to Larry King. You definitely get the sense that this man, whoever he is, was... Definitely determined to get his a message, message across. And I guess one of the questions for me would be if I ever were to talk to the man. At least my first impression was th- this could be someone that lost somebody. You know, usually when you lose uh, yeah, somebody yeah, close to point. you. That's
0: a good point. In
2: the moment of grief, you think of how you can bring somebody back or how can you... You know what I'm saying? There
0: needs to be something that got him so attached to it, I guess. So I see your point, yeah.
2: And with the tiles, as we're talking with Steve, I began to get the feeling that the tiles themselves were, were giving you, like I said, an insight into where his mind was and a bit how it began to unravel as I can only deduce that by the later messages in the tiles and some of the... Yeah, you they know, started getting a, a, uh, li- a
0: little more convoluted. And um, yeah, he, he was <laughs> adding little touches that just gave us an insight into his personality, I guess.
2: I encourage everybody to check out the documentary. If you are in the East Coast or are planning a trip to the East Coast, you know, have your camera ready and take some snapshots of that. And tag us on Instagram at yeah, I mean, like, WOTR yeah, Radio. Like you're going to stumble across them. Either way. And like I said, it, I'm still quite fascinated by it. To me, they're like little works of art. And Steve, on his website, I believe that the website was toyandbeidea.com. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you can see the, the variety of tiles. And you can also see the evolution or the evolution, however you want to see it, of the tiles. It's fascinating. And obviously, check out his photography because, you know, we both here enjoy the arts in its many mediums. And photography oh, yeah, is definitely no, one like- of them. His and his
0: pictures are great. They're really interesting to look at. I I kid you not. His photography it's really interesting.
2: That being said, take care. Be safe. God bless. I don't do anything too crazy. we we'll to see you back next week. If you we miss any part of tonight's show, don't worry. You will find it on our website in the next coming days. Wtrradio Boy, it was it was. It's good to be back. It's good to be it's back. Shout to out to back. Tony Merlo, and uh, we we love you too. And Shout thanks for your continued well. support. Shout out to Leslie and. Yeah, definitely uh, keep tuning in. We uh, no, shall Courtney, be here.
0: Courtney Courtney's listening. Uh, the as well. So all of you uh, guys. Everyone
2: listening, we thank you for your support. And we look forward to spending our Sunday nights with you as we explore more of the mysteries and craziness that's out there in the world. Keep up with us at WTR Radio on Twitter. WTR Radio, the comments, the website. West of the Rockies on Facebook. Sign up for the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and all that good stuff we you way on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Andanary Frank on Twitter. Alright, we did all this, all the mandatory social media. And uh take care, guys. We'll see you next week. We're gonna go out with a little bit of oh man. How about we uh, we play we'll play some Metallica.
0: Oh really? Yeah,
2: holier than thou. Oh
0: gosh. This is one of the
2: one of my favorite songs on that album. I thought, thought
0: going to go off with a positive note.
2: Oh, no. No, we're going to rock out.
0: You're going to rock yeah, out? Yeah, because right. is the first You're week all back. Right. <laughs> all right.
2: Take care, you guys. We'll see you
0: next week. See ya. Bye. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM Los Angeles.